Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I'm delighted to feature figurative painter Philomona Williamson. After an influential meeting in the 1980s with Romare Bearden, she began to draw from her childhood memories to create vibrant, colorful paintings depicting figures from childhood through adulthood that blur the lines between gender, race, and adolescence. She has exhibited her work for over 25 years at the June Kelly Gallery in New York City and recently at her mid-career retrospective at the Montclair Art Museum in New Jersey. She is also in a group show titled Sit Still at the Anna Zorina Gallery through August 15th. Philomona has been the receiver of numerous awards and residencies, including the Joan Mitchell Foundation and Pollock Krasner National Endowment for the Arts, to name a few. Her work has been shown in solo and group exhibitions throughout the United States and abroad, and she is represented in numerous private and public collections. Her public work is part of the MTA Arts for Transit program and the New York City School Authority. She currently teaches at Pratt Institute and Hunter College in New York City. In October, Philomona will present a series of paintings for children's books. Welcome to this episode and enjoy. Philomona, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. So I'd really like to start out my interviews asking artists to tell us about themselves so we, we get an idea of uh, at what point of your life and, and what instilled and made you think about how much you enjoy creating art. So uh, tell us about you know when in your life did you realize that you want to create art? Well, it started a long time ago, and uh, basically it wasn't, I wasn't thinking so much that I wanted to make art. I was thinking that I wanted to control something in my life. And it was the time when I was an adolescent. I was in middle school and I was having a lot of problems at home. My father was very ill. He had cancer. And this was in the time when cancer was thought of as a disease that you could not really tell anyone about. Hmm. So my mother was very frightened and, you know, said, don't tell anyone that he has this. It has to be a secret. No one can know. So this is, you know, I'm 12, 13 years old and I have this giant secret that, Hmm. um, and my mother even said, don't even let your father know. So this is a very, that's an odd secret to keep <laughs> from, yeah. uh, from everyone. It's a burden, but 
you know, I said, okay, you know, I, I must keep this secret. This is a horrible secret. At the same time, as an adolescent, I'm also noticing my body changing and from being, you know, sort of flat and, and just a regular adolescent child girl, I am turning into uh, a woman and I don't even understand why this is happening. You know, my, my clothes that used to fit are not fitting the same way. Um, and my mother said, well, you know, you must wear a girdle. We've, we've got to get a girdle for you. So, so all of these things are sort of trying to contain what's going on and not being, just feeling like, oh my God, I'm out of control. Like there's nothing I can, you know, I'm trying to wear the girdle. Girdle's not really working. This feels uncomfortable. Um, getting a bra, you know, all of those things that, you know, you go through when you're, you're an adolescent. Uh, and I was lucky enough to go to a high, a junior high school in Manhattan. And there was a special program that year for the two years, I guess it was three years. Right. And they brought in musicians to teach the music class. Scientists were teaching science and artists were teaching art. So in, so I chose science and art. You could choose which one you wanted to do. And I went into the art room and for the first time, I had control over something. I could control what happened on that sheet of paper. And it was, oh my God, this is, I just <laughs> love this. I am the, I'm the one that puts down the color. If I don't like the color, I change the color. If I can change the color, you know, all of it became just my escape. And that was really when I, I decided it wasn't even a conscious decision. It was the, I like doing this. This feels good. I want to do this forever. And, you know, the teacher that I had, who I still, I'm in, I'm still in touch with her, in fact. Wow, that's great. Um, all, yeah, which is bizarre. After all of these years, you know, um, she happened to come to my show and I had the show at the Montclair Art Museum. She was there. Um, she, anyway, so... So she presented the making of art as a, a process that you can, that you go through in terms of, you know, making decisions and that it was, it was work and, you know, you go to work and you do this. And all through my, my uh, education in high school of music and art and art, it was all about work. And I was really, really fortunate to have, art teachers who were practicing artists who presented the making of art in such a fashion that it was uh, something that you did because you had a, a story to tell. Um, and whether or not people listened or not was not the important part. It was that you got your story out and that you worked as hard as you could to make it uh, a, a cope coherent story and that you you believe they really made you believe in what you were doing uh it was you know absolutely wonderful so that's really when I started and thinking you know making art and I think what happened um years later when I was thinking about you know what was the subject I was painting and you know I, I've always been a storyteller so that I always had a figure in the painting, but 
I think at one point I really decided to risk everything and go back to my childhood and tell that story because that's where it began. And I write, you know, to this day, I use the adolescent as the figure because I think of it as the, the starting point to, for a lot of things. Was there a particular artist that you admired? No, you know what, when, when I first started, you mean? As a, as, a, as a young child, was there an artist that influenced no, you? No, no. As a young, you know, this is in junior high school. I'm talking when I and high school when I truly began to study art. And there, I loved everybody. I mean, there wasn't one person that I did not enjoy looking at. I loved Matisse. I loved I loved Gauguin. I loved you know Beard and I looked at you know it was your your. I looked at everybody really. Mm-hmm. You know, later on through college and afterwards, you know, I really I love the mural painter, Mexican muralist. I really love them because I love that figure. Um, I also really like Balthus, uh, Paul Arrego, a lot of figurative painters that use um, adolescents in there mm-hmm. as their subject. But, you know, I do look, I look at a lot of different things and, you know, I love the drawing of Aang. I love Davida. You know, they're, I, I love Haitian art. <laughs> um, I love folk art. Um, and, you know, I guess I, for each person that I'm looking at, I get something very, very different. You know, I love folk art and the Haitian art and because of the, the conviction, you know, that the people are, and self-taught artists, I love those because they're, you know, there's something that's driving them to make, to make art. You know, they have to get their story out with whatever materials they have at hand. And that's the important thing. To, I've got to get this story out. That, that there's this wonderful in, intensity and, you know, force that's behind the making it. And, and that's sort of what I relate to. Sometimes it's not ex- the, the actual visual imagery that they're making that, that inspires me so much, but just that they had to do it. You know, and like in the intent. So, um, so I, I look at a lot of different things. So your art is very colorful. The colors are strong mm-hmm. and bold. Uh, just tell us how you came about with that style. That uh, you know, I don't. I just. Um, I mean, color has always been something that I I enjoy using in my work, and I think it's about. Um, color conveying a kind of emotion and so when I'm when I'm painting I really I think about the um, the emotion that the painting that I want the painting to have and that's sort of how I, I will choose a color I also think of color as something that will draw the person into the the painting and sort of seduce them with sort of, oh, this color, it's, oh, this looks really happy, or, oh, this looks so luscious. And then once they're in, they'll look around and they'll say, oh, but wait a minute, what, what's the person doing over there? Wait. Well, so you wait, think about the audience. Exactly. You know, then they, they start looking, and but by the time the color has drawn them in, they're, they're in the painting. 
you know, mm-hmm. and then they become, then the conversation begins uh, with the painting and the, and the viewer. And that's really what I want. I want conversation. I don't, and I want it to be a nice long conversation. And that means um, composition, color, and the content is going back and forth and always, you know, bringing you this way. And then, whoa, something else is happening. And then <laughs> it twists great. you around. Yeah. So that it really, it becomes a, a rich conversation about what's going on. And hopefully, you know, it touches on many things that the, that the viewer may not understand about, about the painting, but somehow something is resonating with them, you know? Uh, so that's, that's sort of where the, the color the color comes from. I saw this show once at the Brooklyn Museum. It was an incredible show of Haitian art. And the, again, you know, people think of Haitian art as uh, sort of primary colors and it's very bright and, oh, it's very, it's happy kind of art. And true, the colors were, they were absolutely beautiful colors. But what happened, it was a very political kind of show. It was political in the sense that they were really, the artists in it were telling the story of Haiti. And it was not, a, it was not a pretty story. <laughs> yeah. It was really a beautiful show. And I, I've been looking for the catalog from this show forever and I can't find it. I called the Brooklyn Museum. They can't find it. But that's sort of my intent also, you know, to, you think that the, um, the imagery, you think it's going to be one thing and it's really about something else. And that was, it was a really powerful show for me because of that. Yeah, it's, I ask artists often um, how they want their art to influence their audience. So it was nice to hear your version of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as, as it pertains to critics, mm-hmm. do they understand your work? I, I don't know. Um, you know, I've had uh, some critics who who do understand it, um, and but you know, I think that with art criticism, there's always the the person who's writing about it always has you know their point of view is sort of framed with you know what their their background and how they see a certain kind of work. And I think it's also people like to categorize and put things in boxes. And I think when you, I'm sort of against any box, you know, in a way, Um, my paintings are narrative. Uh, My paintings are figurative and they, but they are not, the figures are not performing the regular kinds of things that you would expect, let's say, people of color to be doing. So they're not, they're acting, they're doing something else. Because really, the way I think of them, they're, they are just sort of vehicles for all of us uh, who are going through, um, I guess, the way I, you know, when I'm doing my paintings, I think of the figure as these are adolescent figures. So they're very susceptible to what's going around. They're very sensitive to it. And they are noticing the world around them. And then they are, I'm reinterpreting what they are feeling with the paintings. So that's one layer of it. 
I also really love the body, the human body. And I like that it, as an adolescent, you're very, it's awkward, right? <laughs> so I put them in very awkward positions. Um, just to notice, like, it, you know, they can get into position usually that most people cannot get into. <laughs> and with figures, really, they get into positions that nobody could absolutely get into. But that is just to emphasize the fact that, you know, they're not real people. <laughs> they're paintings and they're, yeah, it's an idea of what, what is happening. Um, so for critics, I don't know, sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. I think, you know, they like to simplify uh, some of the work that I do. Um, so that's a, yeah. when, when I've had catalogs written by people who actually look at the work and talk to me, then they totally get it. And, you know, that's sort of across the board. And it doesn't matter if they're women or men or, or black or white. I think it's, it's, you have to sort of find the right person to get to understand what you're doing. So I'm not, yeah. I'm curious to hear about your years uh, back in the 80s mm -hmm. that you were influenced by that downtown art scene in New York City? Um, you know what? It's funny because I was not really in influenced by it because I, I was sort of always outside of everything. Um, and I think the outsider part of it uh, started uh, when I was a student at, at Bennington. Um, I was there when color field painting was the big thing to do. And I, again, was a narrative painter, um, a figurative painter. And so that was sort of not looked upon as, oh, that's not what we're, we're doing. <laughs> you know? So, but that's what I wanted to do. I've always, you know, I like telling a story. So I started being on the outside from there. <laughs> You know, I, I did have a couple of teachers who were wonderful, and they they got it. They were the art history professor, Sidney Tillum, who was there at the time, and um, Dick Haas, who I studied with. And so, a, a few people were were wonderful, but as a as a whole, and in terms of being a part of the art department, a part of a community, I was not. You know, um, I was really. I was happy at one point, the black students, we got together and we wanted to have the five, I think they were, it was the most that Bennington had ever had. There were like 15 of us in one, um, for one year. And we decided to have, um, to invite black artists to come up, you know, in music and dance and also in all of the arts. And I asked Benny Andrews to come up and talk. And he was really a wonderful person in terms of showing the, the humanity of an artist and the, uh, he, you know, he, he made, he just put humanity into art that, and it was not there before. You know, I hadn't seen it while I was up there. Um, and the sad thing is, you know, when he came up, he was not uh, treated as a visiting artist, he, the, the art department didn't take him out. 
they didn't come to the talk. (laughs) Yeah, it was, oh, he was outside. But so I sort of took my lesson from from him in terms of that doesn't matter. Those things aren't important. The important thing is to make your work. And if people notice or they don't notice or they that that's beside the point. Right. So I was not part of the art scene. Yeah. And I, luckily I did, I met him several times after, after I graduated and he was always, you know, so generous and, and warm and supportive. So he was really, he, he was an important person to, to know. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the installation work, your public work. Uh, uh, the beautiful uh, public work. So tell us about you. those projects and how you combine the, you know, the figurative with the projects you work on. Yeah, well, you know, the, the subway project, um, it's the Livonia Avenue station on the, on the L line, was really one of the highlights of my career because I had been a finalist, I think, three times for a subway project. And growing up in New York, I took the subway all the time. And I'm a big public uh, transportation person. I love subway. I love bus. I love, yeah, I just love it. So the idea of doing a a piece for the subway was just like, yes, I want to, I want to. Like so happy. So finally I did get my Livonia Avenue station, which turned out to be, you know, one of the best um, projects for me because in the past, the subway projects, when they're underground, they were glass mosaics. And above ground, they had been um, stained glass. Now, the subway piece that I did for Livonia Avenue was fused glass, which is a much more painterly way of working with glass, which you know really was perfect medium for my kind of painting, because I am more painterly. Um, so it really translated very well into the fused glass. And uh, it, you know, what you have to do is, so I was thinking of Livonia Avenue, what is the, I was thinking of the demographics in the area. But of course, as you know, in New York, that changes all the time. You know, I mean, you can't say, oh, this is a largely Hispanic neighborhood because that could change in 10 years and become something else or, um, so I didn't really want to, to do that kind of a project just based on the people who were there. Um, and what I found, so I walked around the neighborhood a lot and looked at the architecture. But then what I found was that one thing that sort of brings everyone together is the weather. <laughs> and the weather, the weather doesn't really change. Unfortunately, the weather is changing, but you know, that is something that is, in the past, it hasn't changed. There are distinct seasons. And I really wanted to document the seasons um, because that is something that everyone shares and they are very distinctive. And it does bring a kind of, you know, these are people that are going to the subway stop every single day. You know, they're commuting and you see it every day. You know, how could I bring a little something different to them every day and and make them also aware of, oh, that one is talking about spring. Oh, yes, today is spring. Oh, that. So I did uh, 
a series based on seasons. And I, I also, I added a few other seasons. I made a rainy season um, because, yeah, there, there are rainy seasons. <laughs> and added, I love fall. So I have fall and then sort of an, an extra, a late fall because I, I really want it. I love sunflowers and sort of that season and also pumpkins and sort of November-y fall season. So I added a couple of extra seasons um, to, be, to be put in there. But basically, it was, you know, I was thinking of the seasons and how even though they are not as distinct as they, they used to be, that at this, when you're standing on that platform that you might look back and think, oh, I remember when, you know, there were beautiful snow crystals that used to form. And I remember when the, when the uh, sun would be so bright after the, after, uh, you know, in the fall, that wonderful Up, bright. Uplifting, light. uplifting. Yeah, right. So I, that's, that's sort of what I, what I did for that one. So it was really, it was great. And I, I, I went to Germany because the fabricators were in Munich. So I went to Munich twice to work with the fabricators who did the fused glass project. And it was really, it was wonderful. Working with the MTA was great. Um, I had done a couple of other things with them earlier in my career. I, there was a poster for the Union Square Market that I did, which was, that was really fun. Because I, again, it was a place that I loved. I loved going to the Union Square Market and they had, you know, these posters that they were making. So I, I did the Union Square Market that was in the subway. And just recently, um, the image from this the subway piece, Seasons, they used in the subway um, an ad that they have for poetry in motion. So I feel as if I've, I've covered the subway <laughs> with all of my work. I'm totally, I'm totally uh, MTA. Um, but, but, which was again, a wonderful project. I got to meet, uh, this wonderful poet, Marilyn Nelson, whose poem was on the poetry in motion with my image and we became friends and now we, we've, uh, worked on a book together, a children's book. Oh, so, nice. you know, it's just like really interesting how things sort of run into things and overlap. And so that was Quite wonderful. So share with us uh, the group show that you're in right now. Oh, Sit Still is wonderful. It really, it, you know, when uh, Deborah and, and Patty approached me about being in it, um, they said, you know, we're putting together a portrait show and we'd like to have your work in it, self-portrait show. And the last time I did a self-portrait, it was in college. And the self-portrait was I painted myself as a pregnant uh, Madonna, an Annunciation. <laughs> like why? But that—that that sort of I felt so alienated that that would be the only other kind of alienating thing. You know, like who sees that? And that's what I felt like I was. So that was the last time. I, so, so I'm thinking like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going? And. Um, but I, I was intrigued by the idea of what, and, but I'm more of a painter that I like the, the body, you know, the movement of the body and the gesture is what tells my story. So I 
really had to have the whole figure and I had to have another figure in there. So what I was thinking about is really having the, you know, who am I and how do I see myself? So with my, with my painting in the show, I really thought of one, you know, there are two figures. There's the uh, figure that's on the, the bottom and then there's another figure on top. And the figure on the top is really, you know, what I carry around with me all the time. And that is a, a list of things that I have to think about constantly. If you notice, the figure on top has tiny little pieces of paper on top of her chest. And she's also reaching to take away um, a doll that I'm holding. And the doll is sort of symbolic of my mother who worked as a, um, a domestic for many, many years. Um, and the figure on top is trying to take that away and I'm holding on to it. Um, so it, it's sort of a, a collage of many of the things that make me who I am. Um, but, but basically I had to have the, the real, the whole body in the painting. Um, so that's, that was my so, but I really I did enjoy enjoy doing it um, a lot, and the show is wonderful. It's you know it's a really it's a large group show with a lot of diversity in the way people have um, portrayed themselves. So I really like being I really like being in it a lot. And you recently did a talk with um, Montclair. Yes, I was in a. I, gave a talk, a studio visit tour of my studio here in East Orange for the Montclair Art Museum. So that was, that was very nice, a Zoom talk that I went through. And, you know, I was thinking, um, you know, the studio, again, it, it has been the place where, you know, I go when anything, well, I come here all the time, but basically when things are going wrong, I'm here, when things are great, I'm here. And because of the whole pandemic, I've been here a lot and I've had much more time to just sort of sit and think about the work as well as do the work. Um, and that has been really incredibly wonderful for me because, you know, usually when I come, you know, I have a certain amount of time to do the work and I'm, I focus on just, okay, let's get busy. You know, this is work time, but because, I have nothing else to do. Right. You know, nothing. I don't have to get to the school to teach. I don't have to, you know, it's just, just me in the studio. Every, I have really enjoyed the reflecting more. You know, I always tell my students to, you know, to sit and reflect about on your work and see what you're doing. And, you know, I do that, but I haven't had this much time to actually reflect. And it's been wonderful. It's actually been, you know, so good for me to, look at it and think about it and and to sort of put into words for myself what I'm doing and why I'm doing it um, and sort of what are the things that I want to say to people when when I do talk about my work um, and I guess I was thinking uh, just sort of in these times the whole idea about vulnerability is is one of the uh, core parts of my 
of my painting. You know, I picked the adolescents because I think they are incredibly vulnerable. And they are female figures because, again, they are vulnerable. Um, I, I think those are the most vulnerable people in our population. So on, on that note, I do, I do want to ask you a question. Uh-huh. What do you want your role to be as an artist as you speak about adolescence and working with the children's book? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what, what do you feel your role is as an artist? Um, well, you know, one, I would like for people to, like when they're looking at my work, to not, not take it at face value. You know what I mean? Like, not say, oh, okay, they're children. Oh, but they're not smiling. Oh, well, I, they, they must be unhappy children. That, that they look at them in terms of individuals and think about um, a little bit of their own personal history. Hmm. You know, I really want it to resonate one part with everyone's own personal history and not because of the color of their skin not because, really not because of the color of their skin, you know, but more so what they're doing and how they're relating to each other. I think I really, I have multicolored people in the paintings because I think that we are, we're multicolored, you know, and they are, yeah, that's, and I guess I really want them to, to look and find the humanity that's there that we all share. Yeah. Um, and that they're the figures that are color are also magical. Yeah. I mean, I guess when I think about it, you know, magical realism is something that I absolutely love. And I think I love it because it, it's, it's always, it's changing, you know, it's sort of, it's real, but then it, it has magic in it. You know, there's something that you don't expect. And I guess that's the way I think of my paintings. I want them to, to be easily, readable in the sense that it's a figure, but something is happening that you do not expect, that there's surprises in it, and that those surprises can happen, you know, for many reasons, and that you don't have to know exactly what what that reason is, and that you can go back, look at it many times, and find something else. You know, just like in poetry, when you read a poem once, and you get one kind of feeling from it, and then you might read it at another point in your life and see something else and feel differently. That's sort of what I want my art to do for people, that you can live with it, always reveal something else. It's absolutely beautiful, and I could easily live with it, I tell you that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so it's been, it's been great talking today. Your narrative, your, your work is, is very... Uh, uplifting, and I appreciate that very much. So, um, oh, thank, thank sure. you. So, you take care during uh, this crazy time we're living in. <laughs> yeah, I will. Thank you very much. Thank it you. It's a pleasure to you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit cerebralwomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.